Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's up, everybody? April 27th edition of the Fight Full of MMA podcast. Yours truly, Joe Ferraro, your host. You can follow me online anytime via social media. Follow us at Fight Full of MMA. And don't forget, for all of your mixed martial arts news. It is Thursday. Uh, I am joined uh, a little earlier than normal uh, by Frank Trigg. Frank Trigg is not in Hawaii, which is kind of a good thing, bad thing for us. Bad for Frank because I'd rather much, I'm sure he'd rather be in Hawaii. But good for us. We get to go a little half, we get to go earlier by half an hour. Uh, Frank, where are you at right now? Uh, I'm in Vegas, actually. I'm at my mother in law's place. Uh, we got in late last night. Of course, typical flight delays, what have you. So we got in late last night and starting a day right now. Uh, what test? So it's got to be what nine oh five in Vegas right now. Yeah, nine o'clock. Yeah, but still, never. It's been less than twelve hours since I left the island, so I'm still working on six a.m. time. Oh my goodness, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. You know what? You're absolutely correct. I saw on your Instagram. By the way, make sure you follow Frank online at Frank Trigg. Uh, I think there was a pic of you or a video of you uh, and Jill and a puppy in the on, on the plane. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jack flew with us. We take uh, um, Jack flies with us half a time, usually back and forth. He's always on the road, so. It's just this time we're taking them. Um, we have a, a trip to Manila planned for Jill's birthday. So we're taking them off to the Philippines for six days about the middle of May. And um, the people usually have watched Jack uh, are actually having a baby um, anytime now. So I don't want to have Jack have me watched, plus a new baby in the house or with the old place. We bought him over to my mother-in-law's and she'll watch, she'll watch him for like a month or, or a month and a half. And we'll come back. So he gets some time with grandma. There you go. Uh, guys, if you're tuned in right now, you want to get on the live chat, top right of your screen, please, by all means, uh, post your questions, uh, comments, suggestions to Frank Trigg and I. We will uh, we will try and get to them uh, as much as we can. Kyler James is already on there saying, hey, it's Kurt Angle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. 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 <laughs> you getting Kurt Angle, me getting Pitbull, it's, it, it's never going to end, right? It's, it's never like, hey, there's Showdown Joe or hey, there's Frank Trigg. It's, it's always the opposite. Yeah, it's, 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 you want to get to that point where, where they like to go to Pitbull and go, hey, you're Joe Ferraro. That's what you try to get. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah, I'd have a pretty good uh, bank account by that point there if that was to happen, no? Yeah, we hope. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, Adam Ball says hi. Uh, Ole Samuele says uh, what's up? What's on TNA? <laughs> okay, uh, good stuff there. Uh, lots to talk about, Frank. Um, I want to get your thoughts on a few different things. First things that I haven't asked anyone this week on the podcast whatsoever since the news was released last Saturday uh, about Maurice Smith uh, going to be entered into the UFC Hall of Fame somewhere uh, where you were inducted. Uh, your thoughts in general with Maurice Smith because according to me, he's an extremely pivotal individual. For yours truly, because when I started watching the UFC back in 93, it obviously started with the segment of Hoist Gracie and the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, and the next thing you know, we had Mark Coleman. Uh, Mark Coleman doing his thing with wrestling and just destroying people. But on the other side was this guy named Maurice Smith competing in extreme, I think it was extreme combat, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and a striker. Because back then, it was, if I remember correctly, Frank, late or I guess mid-90s, the mentality was, you know, I grew up in, in, in a boxing and kickboxing, American kickboxing mindset or kicks uh, above the waist, uh, and I had to learn this jiu-jitsu stuff. Uh, so I started learning jiu-jitsu and started unfocusing on the striking portion. And then there's just Maurice Smith, who takes care of Conan Silvera and destroys him with a high kick, then comes to the UFC and proves to everyone, hey, man, striking still counts. You just have to learn how to defend the takedown. And if you get taken down, get back up. And, of course, learn some ground and pound uh, on the way. So I think Maurice Smith is an extremely pivotal fighter in the history of mixed martial arts that sort of brought, not really brought striking back, but showed an evolution of striking. Yeah, he really did. He was the first one, um, really, that only knew one discipline that actually tried to learn the other disciplines for defensive reasons. He just didn't want to get caught in a submission, you know, get choked, his arm caught. So he started learning how to defense everything a lot more than what the rest of us kind of did would jump in, try to be offensive with everything. He just went, look, I'm a striker. Uh, I'm a stair striker. And then I'm going to go ahead and work on, work on these other things. Now for a while, he worked with Matt Hume too, um, right through the end of his career, which kind of brought Matt on the scene as well as, as being this great coach and this great um, uh, grappling guy, great wrestler grappling guy that could, that could teach anybody really how, how to be uh, defensive wrestling and defensive jiu-jitsu and stuff. And so it's like Maurice is, is one of those, the first guy to do it and well-deserved being in the Hall of Fame. Like, like did not, was not surprised. Was, was like so, um, so satisfied with the, with the announcement was coming out that I almost like had no reaction when, when they announced Maurice's name. Cause I was like, well, yeah, like, of course, why shouldn't he be in that? He should be in the Hall of Fame. Like this is, so it was perfect for him to be in. I think he's great for the, great for the role. And, and of course he's, like you said, he's one of the guys that came along that, that kind of changed how people looked at competing, you know? I mean, for as many times as Hoist won, even today, his striking still is not very good. And, and and he won all those tournaments without being able to really do anything. And that little funky front kick that he had when he would run at you uh, to keep you off, and then, then he'd kick you down, and that was it. And that, But he never really advanced and developed. Maurice Smith kind of, kind of was one of those first guys that, like, advanced and developed and tried to learn new techniques and new skills simply to get to a finish much faster. Yeah, Kyler James, uh, I'm the same with you, Kyler. Um, you know, he says Mo Smith was a badass. Been watching tapes on him. I've got VHS tapes of his days in Pancrase. Uh, I know I'm dating myself by saying VHS. I guess I, guess I, should, I could sort of, you know, transfer them over uh, onto something, you know, soft copy or something like that, um, or digital copy, excuse me. But Maurice Smith was was back in the Pancrase days, back when he came over, was such an exceptional fighter. Uh, I heard stories of him, and if he ever leg kicked you even in training you felt that thing for weeks and weeks and weeks. The guy was an absolute beast. Did you have any experience uh, or a friendship with uh, Maurice Smith at all? Um, you know, it's, it's casual. He's one of the older guys and one of the, the, the original guys that kind of got into the sport. And I'm, of course, that second generation after him that kind of jumped in after. 
he and I have a lot of respect for each other. He came out to L.A. and trained with us one time. We had the uh, the Raw Training Center down in El Segundo, California. He came out and worked out with us um, and was like, my at that time, all I had was my, for my front leg. I had a, a really weak teep kick and then a switch kick, and that's all I had. I couldn't do anything else with my, with my lead leg, and of course, I'm – I'm uh, left-handed, so I stand unorthodox. Uh, with, so that my, that would be my right leg. Left leg, I kick you inside, kick you outside, kick you high, kick you low to make a difference. But with my my right leg, for some reason, just couldn't couldn't get it moving. He showed me how to do this little lifting kind of arcing um, uh, kick right into a guy's rib, right into a guy's armpit that I used for a long time my, in all my fights. That he showed me over like a week or or you know th- three to three days to five days when he was in town in L.A. training, and I used it forever. Like after after that, I was like, oh yeah, it's like an easy way to kind of keep. Guys off you when they're charging in. It's an easy way to lift up. And if you're going to, if they beat your shin, you're going to catch them on the knee because they run through it. So it, for me, it worked pretty well. Uh, and it's actually, um, uh, that's the kick, the front kick that I use to uh, disrupt John Jacques Machado, to make him think I'm going to throw this lazy front kick. So it looks like I'm throwing this lazy front kick to his back knee. I was actually just throwing a, a lifting front kick, a lifting kick to, to his rib. And I saw him lower his level. So I just dropped my leg back down and just threw a knee at him. And then the knee was just randomly like I was gonna throw something in the middle of space. He happened to run into it. So I don't think the knee was planned, but that that's that Maurice kick that I started using. I was like, oh, this thing works. It really sets people off and gets the move. So he not only being a great competitor, he's a great coach too for a long time. Uh, I have that fight on VHS. That was the fight, ladies and gentlemen. When that was my first introduction to Frank. Um, obviously, back then I was a massive. Um, I guess jujitsu guy. Jujitsu was my life. Everything I was doing was in a gi. I could care less about no gi. And I remember the matchup being announced, John Jock Machado against this Frank Trigg guy. It was Frank Trigg. And I'm like, God, oh, John Jock's going to just take him down, eventually just wear him out and just submit him. Uh, and I get a copy of the tape. And I'm like, I love this Frank Trigg guy. Holy smokes. What the hell did he just do here? That was amazing. And then I started doing my research on Frank. And you know, there was only so much available back then. We're talking what, Frank? Uh, Shoot, that was early a, 2000s? No, that was a... Uh, that was in Shudo? That was 98. It was 98. And then... Okay, it was late 90s? Yeah, because I lost... I, I was undefeated still then. I lost to Sakurai after that. And that was in Shudo 99. I got that fight of the year. When I, my loss to, uh, to soccer, I was. I remember that fight as well. Yeah, ninety eight, you know, or early ninety nine. Hmm. Uh, okay. So, anyways, that, ladies and gentlemen uh, that are tuned in live right now, don't forget live chat, top right of your screen. Uh, my guest Thursdays is always Frank Trigg. He's in Las Vegas today, so don't mind the background. Uh, oh, he's yeah. that fight's almost twenty years ago. What? Yeah, dude. That fight's don't don't, years don't think about it. God, don't think about it. Don't trust me. It hurts. It hurts a lot, man. Dude, underneath my feet right now, I have – I'm going to look down here. 30 – yeah, about 30 VHS tapes that are just sitting there that have UFC 1 to 10, Extreme Combat, World Valley Tudo, stuff for IFC from Brazil. I'm like, I got I to gotta somehow transfer these. I got to figure it out. I don't have the time, but I got to figure it out. It just – like – I feel old, but I don't feel old because I feel privileged and honored to have grown up. Uh, my whole adult life has been nothing but mixed martial arts. I, I started in my, I think, 20 or 21. Uh, well, 1993, I was I was 20. So, yeah, 20. I'm 43 now. So tw- the majority of my life, more than 50% of my life has been mixed martial arts. But then I start thinking about it, and I'm like, 
getting old, man. I'm getting yeah. old just by by being a part of it. You fought in the in that era, man. That's crazy. I know that's. Uh, I, I think you have three of my first fights on tape from everything you just named in there. I think I think you have like three of my fights, which is crazy because I don't have three of my fights. I don't have those three fights. Like, I have to go. I have Parker John Jock one that's on YouTube someplace. They can find that one, but the other ones I don't have. I don't have. I actually don't have. To be honest with you, I don't have any of my fights. You know what? If I come across them, you'll get a copy. Uh, but th- that's the thing, though. Like nowadays, with with the internet, we can pretty much find anything. Maybe that's why I've been so uh, I've been procrastinating and trying to transfer these tapes over because I'm sure if I typed them in somewhere, somehow they could be found. Do you have USC Fight Pass? I do. Yeah, so do I. And that so between that and YouTube, you pretty much have everybody. Like you don't need <laughs> you don't need anything else. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Uh, Adam Ball on the chat wants to know, how do fighters get selected for the Hall of Fame? Is it votes or just appointed? Uh, well, remember, it's not the MMA Hall of Fame. It's the UFC Hall of Fame. And the UFC are the one that makes that those selections. Uh, I'm sure there's some sort of discussion in a boardroom somewhere. Uh, but no, it's not voted upon by the fans, the media, uh, the fighters, or anything of that nature. It is definitely a, a UFC thing. If there was ever an MMA, a bigger MMA Hall of Fame, uh, there'd be some different uh, people in there. Frank Shamrock comes to mind. Uh, Big John McCarthy belongs in every single yeah mixed martial arts UFC Hall of Fame you could possibly imagine. He's a guy that I've been championing for the better part of, uh, I don't know what the certificate says. I'm going to go maybe 10 years. Or whenever the UFC Hall of Fame was, was created, I'm like, well, Big John McCarthy needs to be in there. I know Dana and him weren't talking at the time, but Big John's an example. Frank Shamrock's an example. Um, your thoughts? You know, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing with this Hall of Fame thing. When they, when they, my class, they had a whole rule of regulation. Like you had to be, you had to be out, Long, you know, five years or more um, to be eligible. Like, there's always these different things. The fights had to be five years or older. You know, it's like, there's always, there's like this whole protocol. And he kind of seemed to, to, to throw all that out the window with his last class. Because um, obviously, Ryan Faber just retired and he got in immediately, rightfully so. And I don't like those. I don't, I don't, see, I agree on some points, but I disagree on others. Like, I agree that, that if someone had a storied career, why do you have to wait 10 years to put them in the Hall of Fame? They could be in the Hall of Fame. Like, they retire on Thursday. They're at the Hall of Fame ceremony on Saturday. Like, like there's no reason to make a, to wait for them. Um, these guys need to go in. And with, and with a guy like, like of course, uh, so far we know Uriah Faber, and we know uh, Marie Smith, the two people that are in. Uh, this class looks like it's going to be outstanding. Like, it's going to be an incredible class. But there is tons of rules and regulations between how they get in, um, and, and the UFC is the one that picks everything. We have no control over any of that. So and no one knows. Like that phone call? Yeah, no, it's my, my mother-in-law is the only person I know that actually has a house phone still in America. Like she, like, <laughs> I was going to say, you're right, yeah. And I'm like, why the hell do you have a house phone? She goes, well, in case the power goes down. I go, the cell phone still works. It's a battery. It's completely separate. And she just won't get rid of it. And so now the thing, it's, it's crazy because she works nights. And she works she works until like 11 o'clock. So this thing rings all the time between now until like 11 a.m. When she gets home, it stops ringing the rest of the day. It only rings when she's not home. It's crazy. That's hilarious. That is absolutely hilarious. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know anyone that has a home phone anymore, other than than. I guess you got to be over fifty-five. Actually, I shouldn't say that. My in-laws, my in-laws, uh, but they're in their sixties. They've they've got a home phone. So, yeah, uh, it, it is old school. I thought your in-laws lived in a, lived in the Italy. No, my family 
lives in Italy. My in-laws literally live uh, about 10, 15 minutes south of us. I actually spent in the morning, um, I don't know if I can post the picture, if, if I could do it. I spent this morning getting ready to do a whole bunch of work uh, for Fightful MMA uh, and my other companies. Uh, and then I got a phone call from my mother-in-law panicking that my father-in-law, who was on the way here to do some work in the basement, he's retired now, but he's a construction guy, a framer. Uh, he's helping redo our basement, keeps it busy. So I'm not complaining. Uh, it's free and the old guy is busy. And I get a phone call that he stuck at, an, at a pretty you know major intersection uh, and if I can go out and sort of help him and I go out there the truck sort of died so I spent the morning waiting for a tow truck for the poor old guy I'm like get off the road you got to come here you got to sit here you can't pick fights with people that are back that are almost hitting your truck because they can't see you just just stay over here we're good we're good so old school Italian ready to throw a hammer at someone so that, that was my morning uh, so I've got to catch up uh, a little bit later. Uh, live chat, guys. Fantastic. Vinny Fernando, I know you mentioned, uh, uh, quote, tough was lit last night, end quote. I haven't seen yesterday's yeah. tough. Unfortunately, I came across a spoiler. My own fault. It's the internet. Uh, but I will likely watch it a little bit later on, perhaps uh, even tonight. God the Bear uh, has a great uh, question there. Did Sensei Seagal teach Maurice the kick? <laughs> end quote. <laughs> I saw something on Instagram or somebody was doing some movie and they were working with him, working with Seagal, and it was some fighter or somebody or somebody in the fight game. I don't know if it was like a coach or, or, or one of the ring car girls. I can't remember what. But like, oh, no, no, it had to be a guy because it's talking about how good he, he can still roll. He still has it. Like they're rolling with him. and still had it whatever. I'm like, that guy Ganshwin, fat ass, sweating all over you. <laughs> He's not doing anything to anybody. Stop living the mystique, man. He's not that tough. He's He has a habit of hurting all the stunt guys he works with. So a lot of stunt guys won't even work on his movies anymore. Because he'll, he'll like, you know, you drill it, you drill it to make it look good for Hollywood, make it look good for Hollywood, make it look good for Hollywood. All of a sudden, he wants to have a fight. And he's starting to so dead kicks you right in the face. <laughs> and, of course, you're not expecting it because you're supposed to take the hit. Or whatever the scene calls for, and all of a sudden you're like, "Yeah, let's go, let's go." And you, you practice, you practice, you practice, and then when it's time for the cameras to roll, all of a sudden he actually hits you, crack. You're like, so now you really have to react because you get knocked out. <laughs> like he rips guys' arm out all the time from doing his aikido tricks. Like he's just he's very unsafe. So yeah, that guy. Did he kick? Did he teach Marie Smith that that front kick? Maybe. Again, <laughs> of all that rant, he might have talked to him. <laughs> I listen. I, I was the biggest Steven Seagal fan forever. Until some way, somehow, he got his, his foot in the door with mixed martial arts. Uh, and then I met him uh, backstage, momentarily, backstage, uh, I think it was in Anaheim. Uh, I know it was, it was in California somewhere, so it was either in Anaheim or, or L.A. And conversation, Frank, was literally, I got to go. I, 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 this is destroying whatever thought, mystique, persona I had. If so, dude, you're not teaching any of these Real fighters, mixed martial artists, anything. You can, but these are legit people that have taken the amalgamation of martial arts over the history and proven what works in real combat, or at least in combat uh, and a surface which allows you uh, to use your hands, your elbows, your knees, your shins, your feet, your takedowns, your wrestling, your submissions. What you bring, Mr. Seagal, isn't technically what they do. Uh, so my conversation was, was very cordial. I smiled, shook his hand. I, I, 
yeah, I got to go. I, I don't want you to kill my mystique for, you know, the movies, the hard to kill and, and stuff like that, uh, under siege and, and stuff like that. So it was kind of, it was weird, man. You ever get in that situation where you meet someone that you've been a fan of, uh, for a lot, cause you're doing movies and all kinds of stuff. Now you meet people and you're like, Oh shit, I got to stop talking to this guy or girl. Yeah. I've had that a couple of times <laughs> actually, but it's, it's, but it usually it's a lot less frequent than you would think. Like usually most of the people I meet, that I'm fans of when I finally meet with them, I'm like, holy crap, like this guy's amazing. This is, you know, he's way better in, in real life than he is than I ever thought he would be, you know, in my in my head or whatever, you know. And so like I've been pretty lucky. But there have been a couple of guys I've met, a couple of girls I've met, I'm like, I don't like this person at all. So just like not talk to him anymore. And, and it'd be away from the whole rest of the time we're shooting. Like I won't even talk to him the whole the whole rest of the time that we're on set. Just kind of leave it alone. Because they are they just break the mystique, man. You're like, wow man, I really like that person as an actor. I really like that person. And then you meet him, you're like Wow, the roles really are made up because this person is not at all like the person I saw in the movie. So, yeah, that shit happens all the time. Yeah, that's true though, because you, you can make the opposite case. Because I've met a variety of actors and, and actresses and, and stuff like that, and, and celebrities at UFC events backstage, uh, in between fights, they're in the back area, whether they're grabbing a coffee uh, or grabbing a quick bite to eat, and you just run into them. And I've met some like super cool, like Oscar-nominated peeps that I'm like, hey, regular dude. Or you're just a regular girl. That's that's you know there's there's no ego or, or or attitude on you. Like that's fantastic. You know. Then you get some that are like, oh, I need the security, and you know who's this short bald Canadian guy walking in my presence? And I'm just shut up. I'm getting coffee, man. Like you're not better than me. Beat it. I know it's it's funny. Uh, like the people that have these entourages. Why they have the entourage? You're not really sure why. <laughs> I guess it's because like, it's a cool thing. And then they're always very protective of the space. Gotta watch out for the space. Maybe in the space. Whatever the space is, don't live in the space. I'm like, dude, like, yeah, I'm just trying to get a cup of coffee. Can you move? Can you get the hell out of my space so I can get my coffee? That's happened before back backstage. That used to happen quite a bit in uh, uh, in Pride, but to the exact opposite, where all the big wigs, whether they were Yakuza or, or musicians or actors or actresses uh, in Pride, they'd be backstage too, running around like, like normal, you know, all the, all the higher ups and and bigger name people, but we don't know any of them because they're all Japanese. Like, I don't know these superstars over there. And they'll actually get out of your way because you're working. They're, they're, they're having, they're there on Yeah, that, you know what? That's so true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh no, you're working. And they're like, stop everything they're doing. Get out of your way. You're like, whoa, like, you're, they just introduced you as like the fifth biggest, you know, Academy Award winning in Japan actress. And you're like jumping out of the way from me and making, like, making everyone that's with her get out of my way. I mean, I'm just, Getting a cup of coffee—it's not that big a deal, but yeah, so it's funny. It's funny to see culture how it works. Yeah, I was just gonna say that's the culture over there because when I was uh, when I was you know my 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 small time with Ryzen, um, I, I was I was told many many times, do, do you know who that is? Like, do you have any idea who that is? Or and I'm like. I, I, I legit have no idea. That is the biggest supermodel in Japan. That is one of the biggest actors in Japan. That is one of the biggest TV show hosts in Japan. And I'm kind of like, yeah, but I got to interview this fighter and I got to get this done and I got to get my voiceovers or I got to get this done. I, I, I don't know. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. They're like, oh my God, like you have no, you're in the presence of greatness. And I'm like, I'm sure I am. Right. I'm, yeah. But I'm, I'm not causing any havoc. I'm just doing my job. So, but yeah, I've, I've, I've met, um, one of the fighters wives was a massive, like supermodel. She was like a celebrity and there wasn't really anything crazy about her, but you know, I walked by her. I kind of, I kind of smiled. She started bowing, bowing. And I was like, Whoa, okay, cool, cool, cool. I'm not, yeah, I don't want your husband to come punch me in the teeth here. I'm just kind of, you know, I think I gotta go to the bathroom, like just whatever. Right. And then they hold the door for you. And it's kind of like, they're, they're very culturally, cultural wise. They're so amazing. But you know, sometimes over in North America here, Frank, we meet yeah. some people where it's just kind of like, dude, man, you just, you know, you came from nothing one day. I don't care how privileged you're elite you think you are. You got to remember you came from nothing. So let's just chill out here. Yeah, I think I have a second. So talking about the Japanese superstars and, and all that stuff, like you walk around. Of course, some of the samurai, or not samurai, but the sumo guys are there. And, you know, whatever, whatever it is. And uh, actually, Ed Suarez told me this years ago when he was still running uh, Sinister Clothing. He's like, you're going to have the best clothing brand in the world. But nobody knows what it is. It doesn't matter. And I was like, okay. So he said that, and I started working for Pride. So they were after, and then they keep introducing me to all these different people. I'm like, you guys, that might be the best actress in the world, but nobody knows we're outside of Japan, so I, I can't do anything with this. Like, they want me to, like, try to, her English is good. Go interview her. I'm like, I don't know anything about her, and I've not seen anything she's done. So I can't even remotely, you know, try to do an interview with her, but that's just how, how it is over there. And they're, like, super respectful for you. Like, because you're working. They're on vacation. They're not doing to be in your way. It's so weird. Yeah. Yeah, Vinny Fernando makes a good point. I'm gonna I'm gonna tie two points in together. First thing with the Hall of Fame, uh, as soon as Anderson Silva announces retirement, uh, his induction should be ten seconds later. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, for sure. He's done a lot for the sport. Ran the sport. Really, really built the sport back up. Brought it back to Brazil for a while, uh, where it was originally with the Gracies. So it's like he he brought that circular back down there again, and and uh, um, still has that same kind of attitude. Just past his prime. You know, I think he, I think he should be retiring soon. Uh, just because of age and, and everything else he has going on, which, I mean, he's got nothing left to prove to me or anybody else for that matter. Like, he's, he's done more than enough for our sport. So, yeah, he should be in the Hall of Fame. Literally, literally, literally. Retires on Tuesday. The Hall of Fame event is on Saturday. And that, that's <laughs> it. Should be that. He should be in the, the moment that he retired. That, like, on the day that they announced retirement, because obviously you can do a big announcement, you let the UFC know, hey, I'm going to retire. They should call him back like 24 hours later. Hey, hold off for 72 hours. Because as soon as you announce your retirement, we're announcing you're going into the Hall of Fame. So just let's coordinate this whole thing together. And that, that's how it should be. Like guys like that, like Anderson Silva, are you fucking kidding me? For a while, he was the greatest of all time. And if, if you didn't believe he was, you were arguing with him and Fedor. Like that was, that was how it went. So it was like he's in the argument for greatest of all time with everybody. There, there was never a time where somebody would go, who do you think is greatest of all time? You go, you Fedor. And they weren't already getting ready to argue with you about why Anderson Silva isn't when you say Anderson Silva is. They were already ready for it. Everybody knew about talking about Anderson Silva, even for the greatest of all time. And we thought he was unstoppable for a long time. So Chris Ryman caught up to him. You know, like he yeah, absolutely um, For sure. Vinny, uh, Fernando, follow up on your point. What we, Frank and I were talking about uh, moments ago regarding guys who have entourages. I can tell you this. Uh, Anderson Silva always 
has a massive entourage. And the difference between Anderson Silva and a lot of other quote-unquote champions or big stars in the UFC is I can give you countless examples of how Anderson Silva has treated me over the years. I can give you an example of uh, we were at a uh, uh, a club, and, and it wasn't on the West Coast. Uh, it was a UFC, I don't know if it was Chicago or something like that, but we were um, we were invited by the UFC. This is when I was at sports, and they were invited by the UFC, and we're just sitting there, blah, blah. In walks in Anderson Silva. He was a guest fighter for the week. He's got his entourage. Uh, we're in the, it's a per- fairly big VIP area. And we're sitting there, and he looks over, and he kind of gives me a double take, and his eyes light up, and he just runs through, and all his crew get up, and they're coming, and he comes right over to me, and he grabs me and tries to get me to dance. I got no rhythm. I can't dance worth, worth hell. Uh, and that's what Anderson Silva does. One time, we're at the MGM uh, waiting for the valet, uh, to, or not the valet, yeah, the valet to, to, for our, our sports in the truck or rental to come over so we can do a shoot, and out walks Anderson Silva with all his peeps and his kids and stuff like that. And I'm just sitting there waiting with uh, with the sports net staff, and he looks over, and he just come and they all come running comes over puts his hand hey what's up Canada? what's up canada how are you how's things are you enjoying vegas like always made me feel comfortable uh he's done it in various hotels various fights i think i've got an infamous interview with him before the chris weidman loss that aired right across brazil on national television outlets uh, that he still talks about to this day so there's an example of a quote-unquote superstar that is still, you know, down to earth. I know when Dana says, Frank, that, you know, Anderson is special when it comes to negotiations and it's kind of funny, but there's an example of a guy right there that no matter what, he has always remained humble and he remembers the people uh, that were around back in the day. You know, to, to that point, I actually want to raise another thing that's kind of been going on where, the, like, uh, Brian Stan came out with and talking about how difficult it is to work with Chris Cyborg. Yes. And, and then we're also hearing how hard it is to work with McGregor. Uh, right now, getting ready for this Mayweather fight. He, remember, he has to deal with, with UFC first before he makes that transfer out. I've been noticing a trend kind of in MMA. Like, I know I had dealings with, with Cyborg when she was younger, uh, when she first came into the sport. Very easy to work with. Everyone talked about, you know, Dana talked about before how easy it was to work with, with McGregor. Um, um, everyone's talking about, you know, how, mu- how much easier it is to work with these pe- people, like, before they became big. And all of a sudden they got big. Now they're really hard to deal with. And they're really hard, they're difficult to deal with. So like, even, even like Anderson now is getting, getting a bad rep because Danny keeps saying how hard it is to deal with him, how hard it is to deal with him. But I don't think it's, it's as much the athlete's problem as the issues that happen with the UFC. Because people forget Anderson was right in the middle of that huge explosion of, of MMA that got more and more eyeballs and more and more people watching. So he got, there's a lot more issues coming along when he first got his pay-per-view deal. You know, because you get part of the pay-per-view deal. And then there's other things that go on behind the scenes. I think the reason why these these better-named and bigger-named athletes are getting harder to deal with is because their attitudes are changing. Is because there's so much more crap you have to go through. It's like, do I really want to deal with M&Ms? I'm not dealing with M&Ms today. Let's, so we're going to push that off, which means we're going to have to stall from their day. It's just like there's too much stuff. Like, these contracts now have got to be, you know, 15, 16 pages long now because everything that gets involved in it, when, you, when you're the champ especially. So that's kind of what's going on. That's why Anderson, I think, why Anderson's getting – more and more difficult to deal with because he's got so much more he's got to deal with <laughs> than there used to be. Absolutely. No, you're absolutely correct. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's someone on the chat right now. I, I, it'd be impossible to actually go letter by letter, number by number, but it ends at 007. Uh, wants to know, has Rory McDonald switched gyms from TriStar? Uh, not that I'm aware of. Have you heard anything, Frank? Yeah, I was actually going to ask the same question because I saw this thing where they did a, they did a, 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 a like um, whatever they call it, 24-7, whatever it is, like the build-up to the fight that they're showing for Bellator. Yeah. And he was back home training. 
he's back in his hometown training. That's what they showed him, like where he's from in whatever BC, British Columbia. He, he was, they were doing, they're filming at his house. So I was like, or at his, at his, in his old town. I was like, did he move away from TriStar? Like, but that would be a huge announcement if something like that happened. Like, Roy's not here training or would have got out someplace. So maybe they're just doing a, doing a scene where we're taking Roy home to show his hometown, but he's still training at TriStar. That's just having to be for that one thing. Who knows? But yeah, I was going to ask you the exact same thing. So I have no knowledge on this thing at all. Yeah, I, don't, I will find out, though. As soon as I get a chance, I'll find out. Uh, God the Bear wants to know, did Frank ever have any interactions with Minoru Suzuki uh, when he still did Pancrase? Mm, not to my knowledge. I could have. There's a lot of Suzukis and Matsusuis and Mitsubishis that I met over there. So it's all names that went together. Well, they're big names. I mean, they're big family names. Like, you know, I couldn't tell you. And back then, there were so many. Like, I wasn't half paying attention. Because I'm trying to, I'm just trying to break into commentary. I remember I got thrown, I got thrown into this thing because Boss Rutten wanted some time off. He was working too hard, so that's how I got in. Because Boss wanted a little bit of time off, so they're like, "Hey, we we'll use Trick for a little while." The boss comes back and he can take over the spot again. And I was totally fine with that. So I was learning my ropes, and I started meeting so many new people. I don't know what the hell I'm doing myself. Like, it's tough. And then you, and you don't speak the language, so it's tough to, you know. I might have met the person, but never talked to him. And I can't remember if I didn't talk to you. You know, if we don't have a conversation, I'm gonna remember anything that happened. So, no, I don't know. Absolutely. Joseph Duffy. Okay. Yeah, I kind of figured as much for sure. Uh, Joseph Duffy uh, is on the chat. Uh, wouldn't you think they'd do the same for Dan Henderson this year as well as in the Hall of Fame? Uh, yeah, Dan Henderson deserves to be in the UFC Hall of Fame for sure. Yeah, but he's going to go under – he's going to have to be in that weird category. Like, what, what category do you put him in? He's old school, plus he's new, plus he's done the transfer. There's like seven categories now. So like he's part, he's like, I think he's part of three of them. He could be in three of them. You know, he's, he's also in a separate category under, under himself because he's the only, uh, he, I could be wrong. He's the only pride and, no, he, he won two, both belts in pride, right? Who else has done that? There's only like two or three people that have done that when both, when both two-way classes in pride. Yeah, but he didn't do it in, uh, in the UFC. So that's, well, either way, he belongs in, in whatever. You know what I'm saying? He belongs in the My UFC Hall of Fame, no ifs, ands, or buts, whatever wing. He actually was much better over in Pride. So what do they do with him? Do they bring him in anyway? I mean, but yeah, they can off of that because he did fight for the UFC, so it meets your qualification of him competing for the yep. UFC. So he can get in that way, but it's it's like, but will they bring him in because of because of Pride? Will they not bring him in because of Pride? Well, hold on, the UFC owns Pride, so can they do whatever they want with it? You know, can it still be called? Uh, uh, can it still be called the UFC Hall of Fame if you're doing it because he's in Pride? It's like this whole thing comes up now, but. Dan definitely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I don't know why he's why um, uh, it's not even a question. It's just a question of when they're going to do it. You know, what what class is he going to come in with? I'm interested to see what else comes on this class. What else to bring up for this for these guys? So where are we at now, Maurice Smith and Uriah Faber? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I want to ask you a question that that we still have post mortem and we've got uh, uh, we've got fight the fight to add to it too. That's true. Okay. Yeah. Well, so we'll have to wait for that. I want to ask you a question that was raised. Actually, Adam Ball uh, brought it up here from a podcast last night that I did with Sean Pearson. We were talking about uh, medicinal or just marijuana in general. When you start taking a look at various states uh, and, of course, the country of Canada, July 1st, 2018, which would be Canada Day, uh, it is apparently going to be, um, I guess, deregulated um, recreationally. Uh, and medicinally uh, right across the country where it then boils down to the province. So the question that everybody was having, for example, obviously Nick Diaz uh, came up and, and Dana White mentioning if he can just stop smoking weed for 24 hours, 
he should be fine, obviously, with USADA. So we bring in – the reason why I'm asking you, Frank, from a regulatory perspective, um, you're, you're a ref, you're a judge, uh, you do a variety of fights, you're under the commissions, uh, and you take a look at, at a situation like a Nick Diaz or any fighter in general. Let's say they were going to compete somewhere where um, recreational marijuana is legal. Okay, for example, uh, is California recreationally allowed? Colorado, uh, Oregon, Washington. And there's a couple others too I'm forgetting, but yeah. But I mean, okay. whatever. So, in Colorado, he's fighting in Denver. Yeah. Okay. Okay, let's say he's fighting in Denver. Okay. Uh, he's, he's, he's signed a contract. He's going to be fighting in Denver. Um, it is, you know, recreationally allowed over there. Everything should be fine. But USADA does not allow or, or, or only allows a certain amount of metabolites uh, in your bloodstream for marijuana. Do they have jurisdiction over a fighter that is competing somewhere where it is basically allowed? Um, it, you, know, you know where I'm going with this, right? I totally understand what you're saying, and um, it's my ball. So you either play my rules or I take my ball home. So USADA comes in and goes, I don't care what the state laws are here. If you want to compete in this particular event, I mean, these people set of rules uh, where two hands down now are, is considered a downed opponent, where you're allowed to grab the collarbone, you're allowed to, you're allowed to heal kick in the kidneys, uh, uh, you're now going to be judged on being more aggressive and you're going to be tested for marijuana at this, at this certain level. That's just what it is. You need to take it or leave it. You don't have to sign it down line. You don't have to fight, but he's got, that's the rule. You got to follow it. Uh, it, it is, it is just how it's been done and how it will always be done. Like they're, they're, the rules cannot be looser, but they can be more stringent. So you can't go, the, uh, uh, the federal government can go, at least in the United States, say that the, the maximum speed limit is going to be uh, uh, 75 miles per hour. This is the fastest you can have anything go anywhere in the state and anywhere, anywhere in the country. And then these jurisdictions come in, hey, we're going to change our speed limit laws. You go, okay, well, we're going to lift it. We're going to move it. Was it 60? We're going to move it up to 70. They can't move it up to 75. We'll move it up to 80. They can only move it up to 70, or they can go, nope, we're just leaving it at 55. That's the way it's going to be. And so in in California, where 70 is completely legal, then you cross the border in Nevada, all of a sudden 55 is not legal. It doesn't matter, you know, as far as as far as far the overall state law or federal law goes. Federal law says this is it. It can go as high as, as, high as 70. It's up to you guys now to figure it out. Kind of what they're doing with marijuana in, in, in Canada. Canada, the government is saying, hey, completely uh, uh, recreational use is totally fine. Now the province has to figure out what the hell they're going to do. So the, the federal is like, we're not doing it at all. Where in America, it's reversed. <laughs> the federal is like, hey, it's still illegal. Uh, the states are like, nope, it's unregulated. Do whatever you want. But if the federal government catches you, it's not our fault. You're on your own. <laughs> it's, so it's very strange. But yeah, it's it's a, a DS supposed to follow the same law, same rules. If you got to stop for 24 hours, you got to stop for 24 hours. Hell, they just lifted the number. The number four is like get a stop for seven days. Not only do is just not just not smoke, you know, 12 hours before this event and 12 hours after this event. Right? Is that is that the new rule that they're, that they're trying? You to- know what? I I I should honestly look into that because I don't know. I didn't see anything, or sorry, I didn't read any changes. But I'm hearing a lot that um, not only are they changing the time frame, but they're also changing uh, the metabolites. So uh, I'll have to look into that. If you come across that, Frank, please share yeah. with us, or uh, you know, hit us up on social think, media, I, or, or send yeah, me an email, text, whatever. I know the number went up really, really high, but there's no, but there now is a, a shorter window that they're gonna that they're gonna look at you now. It used to be like, oh, it's you know, whenever we're gonna catch you. You know, out of season testing six months from now, we're going to catch you. Then they switched that, you know, right around the same time, you know, when they switched everything at the Olympics, when all of a sudden, like, everyone got there for the Olympics. Oh, yeah, by the way, you guys are allowed to smoke weed. Go ahead. And then they, they just deregulated weed for the Olympics. All of a sudden, it became kosher to kind of do it, as long as it wasn't 12 hours before a competition. So if they, if they test you 12 hours before a competition and, and you were 
and you had a certain level, then you're out. And then no one, no one missed. Not one person missed in that whole Olympic village. It was totally fine. So they're, they're, but it's still the rule. And I feel bad for Diaz because they have to follow the rule if they want to be able to compete. And if they don't, if they don't really care, yeah. then they'll, they'll fight and then they'll fail. And then the test, the, the fight will get overturned. Do you think marijuana is performance enhancing? Because I say no. Uh, can it help you heal? Which I guess people can make the argument and say, yeah, now it is performance enhancing because you're healing quicker uh, and stuff like that. So, I mean, your thoughts. It, it depends on your line. Where's your line? Are you are you a hard liner where you're like, yeah, anything that's you know anything that, that helps you heal faster, helps you go quicker, yes, then, then that is that is a performance enhancing. But if they say that, then also ibuprofen, aspirin, uh, anything, any anti-inflammatory, any uh, any any electrolyte drink is going to help you recover faster than just straight water. So now, be saying if you're taking a hard line on that, then you have to go hard line all the way across. The reality of it is, is that is that I fought you know I fought on that card when uh, when Diaz fought Gomi. And he got cracked by Gomi so hard, I thought the flap of his forehead had – like, I thought he cut him all the way across and flipped up his forehead like, a, like somebody was oh. trying to stop him. I mean, it was bad. And he lands on his back and throws in a Uma Plata and transitions to a Gogo Plata and fights over. Like, any other fight, that would have knocked him out. So, like, a couple weeks later, he fails. The first time I think he fails for, for marijuana. Uh, back then, I think it was Keith Kaiser was the, was the commissioner. I talked to Keith. Uh, like a month or so after, I'm like, come on, man. Marijuana is not performance enhancing. How do you see it being performance enhancing? This is freaking impossible. He goes, well, and that, back then it was like 50 metabolites, if I remember correctly. He was like, he had like 450, yep. 350, some exorbitant number that for that, does, that wasn't smoking weed at the time. It was like, oh my gosh, like that's just, like how do you even survive? He's like, at that point, his pain receptors are shut off. So his pain receptors are shut off so bad that when he got cracked, that would have knocked out anybody else, he just kind of went to the ground. Because his, the pain receptors in his brain are shut off, so his brain doesn't know to shut down. You know, you get knocked out because your brain has huge trauma. You need to shut. Your, it goes into shock. Your body needs to shut off, and so that's what that's what your brain is doing. But that doesn't happen with with uh, Diaz. He just went to his back and threw an plot and then finished the fight. So he was so stoned that he couldn't feel anything. At that point, yes, it's a it's a it's a performance enhancing drug. But the problem is to get to that point, it has to be within. You have to smoke within like two hours. So literally, it's like a, a Kevin Gaslam situation where you, you smoke. And you're, <laughs> that's that's literally what, kind of what happens. If it is a twelve-hour window, you won't be anywhere near that space, and you still have the, the the. Of course, there's strength and type and all other crap. I know I get all that, but there's there, you're gonna have at least a twelve-hour window to not to not have that metabolic system in your system. So by the time you get to the fight, you're fine, and it's twelve hours after before the healing uh, uh, really needs to start anyway. So yeah, it's, it's, I don't, I don't see the performance enhancing the way they're doing it, the way the regulations are and why it took them this long to get to this point is kind of strange. Well, yeah, it's the government, the, the wheels of the government. I was once told a long time ago, trying to get amateur mixed martial arts regulated uh, in the province of Ontario where I live, that the wheels of the government are square. So, uh, good luck with that. Uh, before we let you go, Frank, obviously other than, uh, home phones and answering machines, uh, what's the next week going to look like for you? Uh, next week I'm in LA. Um, uh, just hustling some jobs, working on some on some uh, um, uh, uh, stunt gigs, trying to get some stunt gigs. There's a game that has to be played within the stunt community where you actually have to go meet the stunt coordinators face to face. So it's called you know you go hustling, you go hustle on set. So you go to di- you go to different projects that are being shot that you're not working on to go meet the stunt coordinator, say hi, give your headshot, and then hopefully hires you in a couple of weeks. And that's just how you, how it gets done. So I have to do some of that next week. But I'm roughing at the Sportsman Lodge. Um, for CXF, I think on Saturday, and then the week after, I think I'm. Is it maybe it's RFA? I think I think it's RFA the week after in California uh, on the fifth, May fifth. I'm roughing that one too, so I'm I'm inside roughing and booking and roughing, and then 
hustler work. That's my gig. And then I go home. I go back to – you love this, Joe. So next week, our show, I'll be in L.A. week after that, I'll be in Manila, Philippines. So we'll be doing it – if I can get the timetable right, we'll be doing it right when I, right when I get to, the, uh, uh, to my buddy's house in the Philippines. <laughs> so that's two weeks from now? Yeah, yeah. We we better get our time zones in check, son. Because between you and I, well, you know what? For, forget about you and I. Just get Jill to do it. She'll she'll figure it out for us. Because you're talking to two dummies right now. Yeah, she will actually. <laughs> she's she's going to go to like, hey, what time is that going to be in the Philippines? Like, we're not to schedule this. Yeah, yeah, she'll put it together. All right, man. Listen, thank you very much for your time. We appreciate it. Uh, we know it's still it's, it's not too bad. It's it's nine forty six. Uh, it's coming up to quarter to ten. So you're you're okay right now, but your body clock is still saying otherwise. We do, as always, thank you for doing it bright and early for us here at Fightful MMA, guys. Make sure on the live chat. Thank you, everyone. Uh, of course, uh, for joining us on the live chat. We always sincerely appreciate it. Like I said, please tell one friend, tell one friend that you're here, that you're joining us, uh, and we'll have a good time. We'll continue to grow here at Fightful MMA. We thank Frank Trigg. Make sure uh, you give him a follow online via social media at Frank Trigg. Follow at Fightful MMA. Of course, FightfulMMA.com for all of your mixed martial arts news. You want to follow me? I appreciate it. Uh, It's at Showdown Joe on Twitter, Facebook, and uh, on Instagram. Uh, But until then, tomorrow, hopefully, uh, we will go live around 12 or 1 p.m. Eastern, uh, and we will take it from there. Hopefully, we'll have a good time tomorrow and and wrap things up for the week. It's been a great week so far uh, on Fightful MMA. Uh, I'm actually going to be putting together an article uh, after I speak with Frank, uh, and maybe another one tomorrow, uh, because I missed uh, submitting something on Tuesday due to some conflicts here or conflicts with my own stuff here so two articles hopefully within two days uh, will also be part of the podcast and stuff like that so we do thank you very much uh, to those on itunes and on stitcher we thank you as well uh, for tuning in just tell one friend and we will continue to grow until then i say ciao for now When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.